Today I'm going to be speaking about giving. Um, some of you might think, well, we've heard quite a lot about money at church recently. Um, there's very good reason for this. Uh, firstly, is that I've got something new to say today. But most importantly, Jesus spoke about money an awful lot. It was uh, a topic that uh, I believe is his most preferred topic in terms of conversation. And uh, of Jesus' ministry, it's estimated about 25% of the time he was speaking about money. Um, I think there's very good reason for that because it, it features a lot in our lives and it can also take quite a prominent place. So um, in honouring the Bible, I think it's right and proper that we do um, recognise money and talk about how to do it in a godly way. Um, and today I'm speaking specifically around how we can give towards the church. Um, we, those of you that were here last week, you heard um, Rich, myself and Steph talking about the vision for the church going forward and what, given, what God has given us. And we did our little um, Barstool's Boyzone-esque thing at the front here. Um, wait for the next part, it'll be good. And um, we were talking about the vision that God has given us. And today I'm going to be following on from that and talking a little bit around resourcing that vision and the role that um, you can all play in that. Um, so let's pray first of all, and uh, then I'll make a start. Lord, I just welcome you here by your Holy Spirit. I, I welcome you to come and rest upon me. I, I ask you to come and rest upon everyone in front of me. I ask that you come and bring wisdom and understanding, yeah. that you give people ears to hear your truth. I pray that um, you would aid me to speak words of life this evening, Lord, and uh, I pray that anything that is not of you falls away, but those words that are of you will come and produce fruit, Lord. Um, we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So giving, um, I think giving and the church have had quite a long and complicated relationship. Um, if you look back in history of how the church and money have related to each other, it can be quite complex. I myself am from a background of um, Church of England mainly. I was brought up from the age of naught to probably around 15 in a very small kind of village but quite high church. And giving to church very much looked like coming in on a Sunday, seeing what coins my parents had in their pockets, 20p or something, and um, throwing that in as the collection ball came round. And that was really how giving was to me. Um, and if we look throughout history, there's various formats of how the church has responded to giving. I think the church has wrongly assumed a role that looks a little bit like this, um, where, where we found ourselves almost, you know, pleading with people to say, please give us your money, um, and that's absolutely not the picture I think we should be in. So my intention for this afternoon is to give you a clearer picture of what giving should look like um, from an individual perspective, but also corporately, how we can work together to make this um, biblical. The scripture that I think is often bounded around when you hear about giving corporately, certainly in the New Testament church, is Acts 2. Um, so I just want to read Acts 2, 44 and 46 with you. I've got all the scriptures up here. Um, so you don't have to even look to your Bibles. I'm not sure that's a good thing or not, but here we go. I'll read this through with you. Um, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And when I first heard that, I have to say I was quite horrified um, that sounded awful to me. Um, it, I kind of got this picture of some funny commune-type place, um, and I, I really couldn't understand how the church in Acts may have got to this place. And, um, and so that's, 
the picture that we're given as a New Testament church in terms of giving, and I want to look at how we can um, work towards that, really. When I was um, in my earlier days, in my formative days of being a Christian, with some friends, we decided to try this out. I was at university at the time, and we decided that we were going to try and have a kind of a community-based house where we would have a shared wallet, shared possessions, um, and shared bank account. And uh, we thought it was working quite well until one day I came home and my friend was sitting on the sofa strumming on our shared guitar that um, he had bought with our shared bank account. Um, And I didn't actually play the guitar, and I never wanted to play the guitar (laughs) at all. And uh, he'd pretty much cleared out our bank account um, buying this shared item. Um, And I I wasn't convinced that that's what the church in Acts were doing. Um, I think there was other purposes towards having a shared... Um, wallet and shared possessions. And I think there's probably a a bit of a lack of understanding around what that is. So that's what we're going to look at today. There's some common, I think, misunderstandings and thoughts around um, even believers giving to church. And there's probably some things that need clearing up. I think a common thing is that churches are often about people's money. And that um, I think people get quite scared sometimes of walking into a church in fear that they're going to be asking you for money and um, not really understanding that. Secondly, I think a lot of people might be thinking that they actually just can't afford to give to church. They've got enough of their own expenses, certainly living in London. um, Housing is very expensive. Food, the cost of living is really expensive. And so, you know, where does church fit into all this? And they struggle to see how it all works together. One question I hear a lot in churches, and one that I want to start off with, um, is this. Should Christians tithe? Um, It's a term... That <laughs> it's a term that uh, is, is batted around quite a lot, and I think there's probably some worth looking at what tithing actually was in the Old Testament, and then for us to see how does that translate to us now that we are in the New Covenant and in a New Testament church. Um, so I just want to start off by giving some history to tithing and look at the principles as to why that was um, commanded by God, by God in the Old Testament. So the word tithe actually means 10%, which some of you may be familiar with. Um, And in the Old Testament, believers used to tithe 10% of their gross, I suppose income is probably the wrong word, because at the time it was an agricultural economy, so it was more crops. Um, The reason for this was that um, there was 12 tribes of Israel, 11 of the tribes were landed tribes, which means they actually had land that they owned that God had given them. Um, the 12th tribe was the tribe of Levi, and they were the tribe that was set, a, set apart to um, administer, minister to the people, to act as priests um, before God, and they conducted the sacrifices, and they conducted a lot of the um, religious ceremonies, and they taught law amongst the other tribes. Um, and because this tribe, the Levites, didn't have a land, they didn't have anything um, to produce crop, but also they didn't have any inheritance as such. And so the Lord commanded that the 11 tribes were to give the 12th tribe, the tribe of Levi, a tenth of all that they had so that they were able to be supported in their ministry. And that's where it came about. Um, there was actually three types of tithe. Most people often refer to the first one, the 10%, and that's, I think, what's in people's minds when they're thinking about tithing and giving to church. Well, there was a first 10%, which is, as I said, went towards the, um, the priests, to the Levites, to support them. There was a second tithe, another 10% in addition to that, which was like a personal tithe that people were um, told to set aside. Um, if you want to look this up later, it's Deuteronomy 12, 11, and 12. 
Um, it's a special tithe that was to enable people to observe the religious festivals well. Um, during this time, they weren't able to work, and so um, God had commanded that they set aside a second tenth to enable them to support themselves to, uh, to observe these festivals. And then there was a third tithe, so another 10%. No, you didn't know about these ones, did you? There was, a, there was a third tithe that was taken every three years, and that was for the poor. Um, in Deuteronomy 14, we can see that it's set aside for the sojourners, so the travellers. Um, it was set aside for the widows, and it was set aside for the fatherless. Um, those would probably include in a, in a you know, poor and vulnerable category. So in actual fact, if you added up um, those three tithes, um, given that one is every three years, we get to um, 23.3%. Um, in addition to that, there were other um, calls for um, giving and offering on top of those tithes, so such as when the, the temple was um, built, um, the people, the believers, were asked to contribute to the building of that as well. So overall, a good estimate in Old Testament tithing would be around the 25% mark gross. Um, so before anything else was taken off, it was around 25%. Who likes tithing now? <laughs> um, I want to look at what impact this should have for us now as New Testament believers. Statistically, um, around one in four regular churchgoers in the Western world give at all. Around one in four. So a group of people here, probably three out of four of you don't give at all regularly. Of that, that one person that does give regularly, it's estimated around three to four percent of their income is contributed towards the church. If we contrast that with the Old Testament tithing, which was around 25-ish percent, you can see we're probably quite far from where um, the Old Testament law was set. <laughs> Just good, isn't it? Okay. There's some really important and useful principles around tithing that I think are, are good for us to look at. Um, first of all, I want to look at something called the principle of first fruits, which some of you may have heard of. Um, I want to read through Deuteronomy 26 with you because this illustrates some of the heart that was behind the tithing. So I'll read this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. I've chosen this passage because it illustrates three things, I think, which are really at the heart of tithing and something which is important for us today. Firstly, um, in this short passage here, three times it states that the land was the Lord's before and it still is the Lord's and you're just giving of that which the Lord has given you. And when we think about all our possessions or all our material um, things, it's really, really important to note that actually it's only that the Lord has given these things to them that you are able to even act as a steward. Um, when it made very, very good that's provided this land, it's the Lord that gave it in the first place. He created it. It was his and always will be and remains his. Um, and so the principle of tithing was not about recognizing that it is all God's in the first place, and you're just giving some of that to him. Secondly, 
It was the first fruit of the ground. Um, the word here, first fruit, actually translates as the first in terms of place, time, order, rank, quality, and it's the chiefest thing. Um, when, the, when they were looking at their crops, it wasn't that they just gave um, as an offering the first 10%, the first crops that came out of the ground. It was actually the most important, the, the best in terms of quality, the ripest of the produce. It was the very, very best. And the principle here is that God demands the first and the best from us. It's not just 10% of anything, it's the absolute best 10% that we can give him. Um, and this is the principle of first fruits, that when we're giving to God, he's not getting the leftovers, he's not getting the 10% and then we get the rest. It's actually God gets the first 10%, and it's, an, it's a matter of priority in our hearts. And that's how the tithing was actually first set up, that you would look at what you've got and you'd give God the absolute best first, and then whatever is left, um, you, can, you, know, you can deal with. The third thing from this, I think, which is important is the fact that this was an act of worship. Um, it was done in conjunction with the Levites, with the priests, and, these, and this offering was taken to the temple um, and, and laid before God. And giving is very much an act of worship. I know we stand up here each week when we pass the pot around and say, remember that it is also part of our worship. But it, it was really was intended as part of the ceremony of worship and part of a lifestyle of worship. Um, and I don't think that's any different now. Our giving should be very much as part, part of worship as it is when you stand up and come and sing here on a Sunday morning. Tithing was also um, very, very serious to God in the Old Testament. Um, we can see some stark consequences when people didn't tithe. Um, and I think in Malachi 3, it's well articulated, the severity of tithing. We can see here that God refers to the lack of tithing as actually robbing God. And here, um, the context of this passage is speaking to a generation that actually have fallen away from God a little bit, and they've let tithing and giving um, go from their discipline of life. Um, and here we read, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God is very serious about giving. Um, if we look ahead into Acts, um, you may be familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira who, were, who, were, um, who sold some of their land but kept some of it back for themselves, even though um, it was supposed to be for the Lord. And they actually were struck down dead um, because they were found to be robbing God and found to be lying to him. And God takes giving very, very seriously. As I say, it's robbing because it was his in the first place and it all is his anyway. So what can we learn from Old Testament tithing? I think quite a lot, actually. Firstly, um, it's a matter of priority. Giving um, to God demands our best. And it's not that God actually needs the money. He's not poor, um, just as a note. If we look in Revelation 21, uh, 21, 21, we see that the new Jerusalem is paved with solid gold, that the gates of heaven are, are one giant big pearl, and that the walls are made of precious stones. Um, it's not a God who needs our money at all, and it's not about um, giving God something that he needs. Um, it's a matter of priority. God is after our hearts, and that's essentially um, the principle of, of tithing here in the Old Testament. God wants our attention, he wants our focus, and he wants our hearts. 
Secondly, um, we can see from the Old Testament that it was absolutely right and proper to support those that were in ministry, so the Levites of the time, um, and also to support the poor in the community. That was something that was a principle of the Old Testament tithing, and I think is still something that we can see in New Testament. Thirdly, God is absolutely serious about giving. Um, It matters to him a lot, and he talks about it a lot in the Bible. And lastly, and probably most importantly, I think um, tithing and giving is something that points to Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament is a glorious story leading towards the life of Jesus Christ. And tithing is about living sacrificially. It's about giving something of ourselves, and it's about an act of worship. And um, we're going to see a bit later that Jesus was the one that we can look to as leading an entirely sacrificial life. And he's the one who gave everything unto death for us. And so our little part of giving is actually a pointer towards the life of Jesus Christ. So why is it that um, people still now, under the new covenant, still refer to and like tithing? Um, Well, I think my theory is that people like tithing because it's a nice amount, a 10% or whatever, 25% it is, you know now. The 10% is a nice figure for you to be able to say, that bit is for God, and then this bit I'll, I'll keep to myself and I know what I can do with it. And it, it gives us an easy way of dividing up what we have as ours and God's. Um, and that's probably something that we want to really challenge ourselves on. I don't think we're born sharers, and I don't think we're born givers. Um, in fact, if I look at my two-year-old son, he has some quite um, vicious fights over toys. He certainly wasn't born someone wanting to share. And if you look at little kids, anyone who works with kids or has kids will know that it's something you really have to train them to want to share their things with each other. Um, I know if I think back to my time with my family, I've got three sisters. And um, I remember one particular time we um, used to have to... Because in the, when we were younger, we didn't have uh, people carriers, and we used to have this old Peugeot car that sat four in a row. And um, we so hated sharing things that we used to draw lines down the seat so that we didn't infringe on each other's space. <laughs> and the four of us would sit there like this, and if one of us just put a hand over, we'd be like, Mum! Like, just because they'd put their hand in our space. And um, we were quite rigid over not sharing at all. We used to count our food on our plates... I really do pity my parents now, thinking, now I'm a parent myself. Um, We used to, before we start eating, count how many items we had on our plates, uh, even down to the peas, to make sure that, um, you know, there was uh, even distribution, although I thought I should have more because I was the only boy. It never worked that way. And we definitely did not share, and it wasn't in our nature to share at all. Um, But I think people struggle with this, in, in understanding the fact that what they have is not their own. It's only what God has given them in the first place. I've got a friend who really, really struggles with this. And, um, you know, it, I can see it's just gripped him. I took this picture of him earlier. And, um, you know... <laughs> I think it, it can be quite um, gripping in that, you, you know, if, if you view what you have as your own, it's mine, my precious, you know, it it can really um, eat away at you. And we're told in 1 Timothy 6 that um, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I think this um, kind of mentality of separating what's yours and what's God's can really lead you to a path of ugliness and hairlessness. (laughs) 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 Clearly, (laughs) if nothing else. Okay. 
I'm going to get rid of him. He's just, just distracting me. Um, if we look to the New Testament, the times when um, tithing is actually mentioned is really only when uh, it's in reference to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious types of the day, and they usually talked about tithing um, as something that they could tick off their list as a command that they'd done. And they were very much about demonstrating that they were... Um, living the law. And so the, the Pharisees were still quite concerned about the fact that they were tithing and wanted it to be made public. However, um, that's really the only time that we see tithing referred to as a proportion of our giving. And I would argue that New Testament giving is very different. Um, so I want to draw our focus now onto the New Testament to see um, what can we bring forward from the um, laws of tithing and, and what does it look like now for us as New Testament believers. I think if we look firstly at Jesus' own ministry, he was supported by wealthy donors. He never worked, but um, there's instances in the Bible where we can see he was definitely supported by the church. Um, Paul, as he's going about his ministry, um, is also being released by the church that he's in to be able to do that. He did work at times, but we can see certainly that the um, apostles were often supported by the, the local churches to be able to go about on their ministry. So a similar pattern that we saw with the Levites um, seems to be transpiring into the New Testament. We also see in the New Testament that there's emphasis around caring for um, the house of the church, first of all, so the kind of the poor amongst us, as Paul often refers it to, and also the poor beyond the church and caring for those that are kind of more vulnerable. Um, there's, there's certainly application for both those two characters. So I want to give you some examples of what does giving look like in the New Testament and see um, some of the principles there. Two of the books, I think, where we find this most clearly is in the book of Corinthians and um, 2 Corinthians and also in the book of Acts. So I just want to show you some examples of New Testament giving. Um, I want to start off with the book of um, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Um, just to give you a bit of context before I read this, um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's um, asking for them to contribute to um, really to help another church in Judea, which is really suffering. Um, very similar to when we asked you all for an offering for the church in Kenya a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember that? So it's a very similar thing that Paul is saying, please, this church is in trouble in Judea, can you please help them? And when he's writing this letter and asking them to do this, he's citing an example of a church in Macedonia. And he's saying, I want you to look at this church in Macedonia, see how they give so generously. That's how I want you to really think about giving. Um, and the church in Macedonia, um, who is holding up as an example of New Testament giving, were in fact um, in severe affliction themselves. They were in extreme poverty. Um, they were you know, quite destitute in their own situation. There was, it was a time of kind of economic crisis of, of their own. And yet he's saying that these people gave so much, even out of their poverty. So I just want to pick up at the beginning of this um, chapter 8 where Paul is talking about the church in Macedonia. Let's get rid of him. So he's addressing here the church in Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, to earnestly, uh, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of saints. So he's saying here that the church in Macedonia gave so 
generously. If you, the second part there that talks about, um, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What he's saying there, that they were already in a place of poverty, but their expression of grace, their giving um, to the need, was so great that it made their poverty look appear even worse. Even in this state of real affliction, they had a heart to give, which made this, you know, the affliction appear even worse. And they also did that, um, it appears, with joy and generosity in their hearts as well. Um, Paul states here that they go really beyond his own expectations and they give um, in such a way that surprises him. Um, And they're even seeing it as a real privilege to do so. And if you think, as I said, this church in Macedonia, we're in a real state of poverty themselves, and yet they're saying here that they view um, being able to give to a cause as as a real privilege. They see it as part of the um, grace that God has given them. Um, I think it's an incredible picture that um, this church can demonstrate giving even out of a level of poverty themselves. If we look at uh, a bit further down in this letter, Paul kind of summarises to say this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, This is a picture, I think, of what we should begin to see as giving within the church in the New Testament. It's it's joyful, it's abundant, um, they don't separate being a Christian and giving as a small part of it, they see it as part and parcel of their calling. Um, and there's this just real unified spirit between, um, in the churches to, to give. If we look um, earlier on in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 16, um, we can see Paul referring to giving a bit more specifically again. And here he's saying, um, regarding the collection um, for the saints, as I've directed the, ter- the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Um, so here we can see Paul um, introducing a discipline here that giving to a church should be regular. And that's something I can certainly um, endorse to you now. Let's just um, look back at that, that uh, chapter I showed you in Acts um, 2.45 at the beginning um, and see what we can learn from that. So all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all people. Um, what really strikes me from this passage is originally it was the fact that they all gave up their things and they had all things in common. But actually in really looking at this passage, what strikes me is the unity that's in this church in that they had a real oneness between them um, for the vision that God had given them. Um, They had a real oneness to see the gospel spread and to see the kingdom advanced. And really their sharing of possessions was a byproduct of their oneness of heart. And if we look at giving in the New Testament church, it's really about the heart Um, The hearts in the church being drawn together under Jesus Christ and being unified in their their vision for seeing the gospel progressing. And and the selling of possessions was was kind of a means to an end. It's a reflection of what was going on internally for the church in Acts. Um, Again, we see the fact that they um, were glad as they did it. They were joyful as they did it. Um, They were generous in their hearts and that they were praising God as they did it. 
Um, again, probably something I think we can safely say that we need to work on a little bit when we think about our own giving. It's often more associated with pain of having to let go of something rather than joy of partaking in something. And I really pray that we get to the place um, like the church in Macedonia where they just saw it as a real privilege to be able to partake in giving. If we look ahead into um, Acts 4, um, a little bit more on giving. Um, Here we're seeing that the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I think that's quite a statement in itself, that there was this multitude together, and none of them regarded what they had as their own. They simply regarded it um, as, a, as a common good, and they you know, resourced things as they saw need. And that's an incredible picture. Um, I don't think I know any church that can truly say that's where they are at, but it's, this is where we should be aiming for. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and bought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, it was an expression of what was going on in their hearts. Um, It was coupled very, very closely with the furtherance of the gospel and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. In in this chapter, in this verse here, they're almost, you know, it's almost a a cause and effect. Um, And we see also that there was not only a unity in the body, but there was this willingness and, I guess, trust in their leaders of their church to be able to come and lay all that they had at the apostles' feet. And I think as a, as a body of Christ, you, you're called to be unified in vision together. As a church, we're called to be behind the vision of this church, um, but also to have faith that God is leading those that are leading this church as well and to come, come behind it, come behind it with your heart, with your soul, with your finances to come and, and say we're in this together um, and to come and, you know, to, to lay it at the feet. Um, there's, a, there's a focus in this passage here of, um, first of all, I think, sorting out the house of the Lord. So it Paul refers to it as um, the poor among them. Um, Yeah, there's not a needy person among them. There seems to be a focus on making sure that within this collection, within this body, that the needs were met. Um, But we also know that that then extends beyond the the church body. And I think um, Galatians 6 helps us understand this kind of focus between the body and and externally. Um, We're told that the principle here is to do good to everyone. That's the principle um, especially those who are of the household of faith. And as a body of Christ, I think that's something that we can follow, to make sure that our house is in order, first of all. Um, there's, then the need within the body is looked after, um, but we also make sure that we're doing good to everyone around. So looking at giving in the New Testament, I just want to summarise what I think I can see from um, Corinthians and from the book of Acts. Um, firstly, that it seems to be always done in a cheerful manner, that people have caught something, which means that whenever they're giving, they're absolutely glad and joyful in doing so, and that they feel absolutely privileged to be able to be in a position where that they can give. Um, Secondly, that people seem to be absolutely generous. They're giving beyond expectation, they're giving beyond need, um, and they're going over and above and their willingness is to put the needs of others before their own, an incredibly generous spirit. Thirdly, that it's sacrificial. I believe our model of giving should be giving to the level where it causes some level of pain. Um, you might not want to hear that, but um, I believe that giving should hurt. Otherwise, how is it, how is it sacrificial? Um, 
And these churches often gave out of a place where they had lack themselves, but they had such a heart um, to see the body restored and to see the gospel furthered that they were willing to put themselves second. Um, fourthly, that it was regular, and we can see throughout the New Testament church that the contributions from the, from the body were regular, um, and that it was given in community. Um, I think there are times and circumstances where people might have um, things that they want to give to individually, um, but for the, for the large part, we see here that the New Testament church is gathered together in unity and in vision, and they're financing and resourcing that together as one body and, and believing in that together. In summary, I think for the New Testament, we can see that God is really about our heart. There's no mention of a figure in the New Testament, as was very apparent in the Old Testament. And that's because God really actually doesn't want 10%. He doesn't want 25%. He wants 100%. And that is the New Testament, that God demands your all and he wants your all. Um, And it really is not about the figure that he's after. It's about capturing your hearts. And in actual fact, the giving is about imitating the life of Christ and we're going to finish on looking at that um, very shortly. When we're in community as we are here at Revelation Church it means that we are unified in our vision, that we're unified in seeing um, the people reached. We're unified in projects such as CAP, um, helping people out of debt. We're unified in projects such as um, the food bank in getting food to those that need it. We're unified in things such as the um, Acts 2.45 account that we've got which seeks to help those that have need. Um, We're unified in reaching those in prisons. We're unified in reaching those from broken homes. Um, Last week, you did hear about all of this vision, and it really is a call now for us to get behind this together. Um, It's actually not about projects at all, but it's about us together um, furthering the gospel and advancing the kingdom. I think it would only be right for me to return back to the question of... So tell me, Simon, how much should we actually give? Because I think people still want to know, how much should I give? Um, What I would say to you is that if we look at principles from the Old Testament and how they're then displayed into the New, the bar is always raised. They're never negated, but it's always raised. So if we took the principle of tithing in the Old Testament, I can safely say that 10% would be your minimum. It would be the baseline. It would not be your goal. Um, We should not be aiming for 10% and then think, well, hey, we've done it. It should be we start at that and let's see how far we can take it. We should have a joy and an excitement and feel a privilege in being able to see how far we can take that. Um, This obviously applies to members of the church, and if you're visiting here, then it's um, not not applying to you, but this is members of the church. For those of you who say that you can't afford 10%, and this is 10% gross, if you want to be um, clear about it, if we look at the Old Testament, it was before all of anything else that went out that God demanded the first, the first fruits was before anything else. So it's 10% gross. Um, for those of you who say that you can't afford 10%, I think there's probably two separate camps there. Firstly, and probably for the majority of you, you're probably saying that you can't afford 10% based on your lifestyle. Um, my question and my challenge to you is if God is is your priority and is in, is in his rightful place, then it may mean that you have to make an adjustment in your lifestyle to order, in order to put your giving in the rightful place. So it may be that you can't afford the 10% because um, you're saving. Or it may be that you can't give 10% because you're, you know, you're, you're, the place that you live is too expensive. 
or it may be that you can't give 10% because your gym membership um, doesn't permit you to do that. And I would really challenge you to say that this is a matter of priority and um, God clearly comes first. And if, if the 10% isn't applicable because of your lifestyle, then there may be some, to be some changes. Given that, that is just the baseline. That is not where we're aiming for. Um, a, a New Testament application of tithing is actually abundant, generous, joyous giving. Um, there's probably others of you here that fit into another camp who genuinely do not have an income or cannot at all afford that kind of level. Um, some of you may be students um, here, and I think there's probably a couple of ways that you could apply this for students. Firstly, you may deem the fact that you're living on benefits or that you're living on um, student loans as the fact that it's not your money, and so you just don't feel right before God giving out of something that's not your own. I think um, that's absolutely fine. I would encourage you to think about the principle of first fruits, though, and thinking about how you are giving to God out of other things, such as your time and your energy and your passions. Um, so if you don't feel comfortable giving out of something that you're not viewing as your own, that's okay. Um, however, I also know some other students who feel that they want to establish this principle of giving right from the word go, and they don't care where it comes from. They're going to give what they can um, to the church. And um, I think both of those approaches, if done with integrity and they're done before the Lord, are, are fine. Secondly, I think if you can't afford the 10% because you're truly in a financial situation where you, you just are really struggling and you couldn't even begin to manage that, then I would, again, encourage you to think about what the principle of first fruits looks like in your life and what, what you can give in terms of your finances, but also your time and your energy. But also, I would encourage you to come to me or to come to um, Rich or someone else in the church to talk about how you can start to look at managing those finances. We have something in the church called Cat Money Service, which is there to help you manage finances well. Um, I would absolutely say that is a priority to sort out your debt first and that um, you should have some advice and counsel around budgeting and financing. Um, so unless you're in those two camps, either students or those that really can't afford it, then I would say to you that today I'd ask you to question your lifestyle if that's the reason why you can't afford the, um, the minimum level. I um, wanted to make this as easy as possible if any of you did need to make any changes. Um, so I'd ask Rich to just come up and let us know what are the ways in which we can give to the church here. Um, so Rich is just going to run through the practicalities of giving. Brilliant. So if you want, so if you want to give to Revelation Church, there's several ways you can give. Um, we take up an offering every week. Um, but by far my preferred option is to fill out a standing order form uh, and hand that into your bank, uh, and that will mean that a transaction comes out of your bank account electronically. Um, often people don't always remember to bring a checkbook or get cash out with the cash point or whatever. Um, so this is a good way for the, the, for the bank to make that transaction. And then even when we take up our offering, uh, we ask you to make that a meaningful contribution and just pray as the pot goes round um, to make sure that you are committing it to the Lord and it is coming out of the first fruits of what you're giving. Um, you can also, if you... <coughs> 
If you do give anything to Revelation Church, we, um, you can fill out a uh, gift day declaration form. Um, this basically entitles us to then claim back uh, certain taxes that you've paid on top of that uh, from the tax man, which is nice. And basically, it boosts your charity giving because um, we're a registered charity. Um, if you are a student or unemployed, uh, then you don't pay tax, um, so you can't fill out one of these. Um, however, if you are working, you should be paying tax, and you can fill out one of these. <laughs> Um, if you're unsure about your circumstance, come and find me and we can chat. Um, also, you can give by check um, and you can give by standing order. Um, you can give by check or you can give by cash. If you give by check, just pop it into the pot as it goes around when we take up the offering. Um, if you pay by cash, um, we can also gift aid that. So if you just pop it in one of these envelopes um, and then fill out on the front um, your details and make sure you fill out a gift aid declaration, and then we can also claim tax on that. Simon. Cool. Thanks, Rich. Um, I want to end on looking at what Jesus says about giving. Um, he's the, all, the, the authority on everything that we live by, and so I wanted to, to finish with that just to give you a clear picture. Um, some of you are probably familiar with the story of the poor widow um, from Matthew 12, and I just want to read that through with you. So this is Jesus. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor, woman, poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, and she, all, all she had to live on. I think this is a, a fantastic illustration of the heart that matters to God. Um, here there's no mention or, you know, of tithing or, or amount. This woman actually gave in abundance um, I'd like to think that she gave with a grateful and gladful heart. It looks to me very much like she's doing this from a place of absolute worship and adoration to Jesus. And she's doing this sacrificially. Um, she probably is putting um, the church here before her own needs in terms of um, accommodation, in terms of food, and in terms of her, you know, her own lifestyle. She's giving out of almost what she doesn't have and giving in in extreme abundance. And here, Jesus is really illustrating the heart of giving in that he wants it to be sacrificial and worshipful and towards him. I think the ultimate um, reason why giving is so important to us as believers is that it creates a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Um, We're called in Ephesians 5 to imitate Christ. And I think... um, our part of giving is a small way of pointing towards the life that Jesus led. He led the most sacrificial life. His entire life was about giving and ultimately dying on the cross for all of us. And um, what we do in terms of our giving is a small pointer to imitating Christ. We're called to be sacrificial in our living. And we're not trying to to pay him back at all. He's done it all. Um, But we are modelling that lifestyle that Jesus had where he put the needs of others before himself and where he gave himself for those that were more needy. Um, And that's the reason why I think giving is so important to be um, a characteristic and a discipline within the New Testament church.
because for those outside and, and in amongst the body, it is really um, showing Christ to one another. I think if I was to consider giving to those you know, in front of me, if, you, if someone here was to say to me, Simon, I like the look of your watch, could I have it please? Um, that would be quite painful, because I like my watch, um, to give you, but I would like to say I'd do it. Um, if someone said to me, Simon, can I have the contents of your bank account? Um, that would probably be even more painful, but um, I would do it. If someone said to me, Simon, could I have your son? Then that would be the most difficult question. Uh, would I be able to give my son for you? Um, not sure if I could, actually. <laughs> I'd like to say yes, but that would be a very, very tough thing. And ultimately, that is the picture that God has set for us. That is what he did. He didn't give 10%, thank goodness. He didn't give 25%. Um, but he gave his son for us. He, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to take on all of our sins, to pay our debt so that we can have reconciliation with God, so that we can have access to the throne room, so that we can know Jesus as our personal saviour. Um, he gave it all for us in the most horrendous and glorifying way. Um, and I think our small amount of giving is nothing compared to what he gave. And if we can remember that at the heart of our giving, that it's about imitating Christ, it's about reflecting what Christ has done for us to the world, um, then that should take us to a different place. So I want you to really think about where you fit. Remember I said those statistics earlier, that one in four churchgoers probably regularly give, and that one person probably gives around 3 to 4% of their income. When you consider... Um, all that Christ has done for us, I think that's quite shameful, really. And we should really think about where our priorities are in our giving and how our life should truly reflect um, the life of Jesus. As a church, as a body of church, it's actually about getting together in one heart and one mind and one spirit behind the vision that God has given us here. It's about being able to further the gospel in this bit of the world that God has given to us. And it's about being, being behind it altogether, um, whatever it takes. And I think actually it's not about the projects that we do. It's not necessarily about the CAP or the 245 or the homeless outreach or the prison outreach. It's about Jesus' is known being, known, uh, being made known in the world that we're in. And it's about us replicating the life of Christ wherever we go and being imitators of Christ. And that's what's at the heart of giving. God doesn't want a percentage. He wants it all. And he wants all of you. Um, because he gave it all for us. Um, I want to end on, on just to pray, really, because I know that it's, as I said earlier, it's a hard thing to be able to come to a place where you're saying, all that I have has been given to me. It, it was never mine in the first place. I'm just simply a steward of it. The God, you know, God created the earth. It all belongs to him. It always has done and it always will be. And I'm just here to be, you know, a steward of these things and to, to proclaim um, Jesus to the world through my giving in part. And, um, and so I just want to pray for us all to um, have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that because it's, it's a transformational work in our hearts to get us to think like that. And if we're truly to look like some of the churches here that we see in Acts and in Corinthians, I think we've got quite a long way to go. But uh, that is where we should be aiming for. That's where we should be, where 
the outside world looks on and says, wow, look at that group of people. They're moving together. Look at how the gospel follows them wherever they go. Look how lives are transformed wherever they are. And that's the place we want to be. Um, So if the band wants to come up, I will um, just pray if that's all right. Do you want to stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave your all. Lord, I thank you that you didn't give a percentage, you didn't give a, you know, the, the bit that you thought was enough, but you gave yourself for us, Lord. You came and you lived, and you died, and you rose again for us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you, and we stand here humbly before you. Lord, we just uh, are sorry for the times when we forget all that you've done, Lord, when uh, we look at our own lives and it, it becomes too big. Lord, we just, um, we just look to you and all that you've done and all that you continue to do for us, Lord. And uh, we ask you to come in your Holy Spirit and transform our hearts, Lord. May we be true reflections of the life that you led, Lord. May we reveal you wherever we go. I pray that you would just come and renew our hearts and minds, Lord. I pray that you would help us to give in a way that is honourable to you, Lord, in a way that is um, a reflection of the life that you came and led, Lord. Help us to be sacrificial um, in our finances. Help us to be sacrificial in our lifestyle, Lord. Um, We want our lives to point towards you, Jesus. And so we just ask that you come and uh, help transform us, Lord. Make us more like you. That's our prayer. Make us more like you, Jesus.